Thank you, choir. And Lance, thank you. Lance ran. Where'd you go, Lance? He ran back there. Lance is back there. Uh, Lance is, is filling in for Pavel this morning. Thank you for being with us this, this, this morning. Uh, earlier this week, uh, or last week on Friday, I was invited to, to go and, and speak to my, my daughter's kindergarten classroom. Uh, and I was kind of surprised they wanted a pastor to come and speak in, in the school about my role in the community. And I talked about some of the things that we do as a church kind of some of the, the, the things that we, we do together. And then my role as a pastor in the community, I talked about visiting people in the, in the hospital. I talked about uh, working with organizations like Harbor House to, to prepare lunches, which we're, we're doing today um, after church, if you have a couple minutes after church. You know, I talked about what we do. And then I say, and on Sunday mornings, I get up and I talk to people. I get up, I get up and, I, and I, I preach and I looked to this little girl. I'm going to use a different name. And I said to her, I said, Sarah, you, you've seen me preach. Remember last Easter? She looked at me and she says, nope. <laughs> nope. And, and so it helped me to say, oh, yeah. What we do here on Sunday morning as we open God's word is, is important. And it's important in the sense of, uh, we open God's word to help guide us as we journey, um, both individually and collectively. And this morning we are beginning a, a series where we look at a, a journey. And there's a lot to learn from Jonah's journey and Jonah's story. And so I'm excited to unpack it uh, together over the next six weeks or so. I'm not sure exactly when we as humans develop the capacity to feel regret but I have to imagine it's fairly early in life. My guess is every person over the age of 10 or 11 can point to a time that they've done something that they regret doing or a place where they could have done something and they, they didn't do it. So they feel regret about that. We think, oh, yeah, I shouldn't have used those words. I've driven home on a, a Sunday morning and said, yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that when I preached. Or, ugh. I really should have studied for that test, right, Carter? I, oh, I, really, I really should have studied for, for that exam. As we get older, it might be, oh, I should have taken that job. I should have made that move. I shouldn't have yelled. I shouldn't have done this, right? I shouldn't have done that. My guess is that most of us can look back at our lives and see that there were times that we were moving in one direction or another and we thought, oh, am I, going, am I going in the right place? I know that there's been times in my life where I, uh, seasons went against the grain just because I could. Just because I could. Those years in high school where I was a punk, just because I could be a punk. Maybe some of you had those years. Or when I was in fifth grade and I, I led a strike against the teacher because I could. Those times where I, I challenged people in authority or I questioned where I was going. Now, whether we are rebelling against parents or the systems in which we live or whether we're, we're running from God or something that God has called us to do, most of us, whether actively or passively, most of us have tried to escape at one point or another. And often... Like the young child who runs away from home after getting mad at her parents, only to turn around and seeing how scary it is a block or two away, we return. As we begin this series on Jonah and, and look 
really at the entirety of his life, we're invited to picture someone who both runs from God and toward God. It's one of the reasons that I think this story is, is so relatable. It's full of regret, resistance, and redemption. But usually when we think of Jonah, what do we think of? This is when you respond. What do we think of? A whale or the fish. A whale or the fish. We, we think of people like, like Herman Melville and, and, and Moby Dick, which, for those of you who know the story well, includes a poignant sermon from Father Maple on Jonah. Or we think of, of Monstro from Pinocchio, who Disney portrays as a man-eating whale, but who was originally a terrible dogfish. Do you know the uh, uh, original adventures of Pinocchio were actually written in 1883? Usually when we think of Jonah, we think of this kind of mystery, this, this mystery around the fish. But there's so much more to the story than just what happens in the belly of the fish. So as we unpack this journey, I'd invite us to, to think of a, a, a time, or to find a time, I should say. We're going to be in it for six weeks. I'd encourage you to find some time to read it from start to finish. It's four chapters, three pages. It won't take you that long. But, but find some time to read it from start to finish, to look at the whole of the story, because I believe that you will find something in his life that you relate to. And as we step into his story, I'm hoping that we'll see that, that Jonah's struggle isn't all that different from some of the, the journeying that we are on ourselves. Jonah reminds us that God is faithful at all times and all things through all seasons, even when we can't see it, even when we can't see what is happening right in front of us, that God is faithful. The beginning of Jonah starts like this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for all this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, What should we do, for, for you, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? 
Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And they took Jonah, and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I've shared some of this story before, but it's, it's hard to believe that it was about 14 or 15 years ago that I was giving a tour at Fuller Seminary to two of my friends from Malawi in Africa. I was about to graduate. I wasn't sure what was next. My wife Haley was finishing her master's degree in education. She was teaching full time. I was wrapping up my last class in seminary and figuring out, all right, God, what do you have for me? I've been preparing for ministry. It's time. One of the two Malawians, Vasco, who preached here at my installation years ago, said, Dave, what are you doing when you finish? We have the perfect church for you in our country. I said, look, I love taking trips to your country. I love bringing people to your country, but I am not moving to Malawi. Over the next nine months, Vasco reached out over and over and over and over again. And my answer kept being the same. I'm not moving to your country. And then one night during dinner, Haley said, hey, you think maybe Maybe God is calling us to Malawi. Finally, I said, okay, but only if everything lines up, only if everything makes sense. Now, I'd like to think that I wasn't actively running from God, but Haley seemed to be more open than I was. It's funny what happens when you stop running, when you finally say, okay, because everything did line up for us. Our community rallied around us to raise funds. The, the San Diego Presbytery did something that our denomination doesn't always do and ordained me in a kind of a, a different way. And the church we served in Malawi was happy to take a year-long commitment. A few weeks before we got on the plane, a church from Orange County reached out to see that if I was a match, if I would come to Orange County, but we had already committed to Malawi. I told them to reach out a year later if they were still searching. They did. And that was the church I served before coming here. Our journeys are not always linear. In fact, they rarely are. They don't always make complete sense. And yet, in the midst of it all, God is faithful. It's one of the lessons we learn here from Jonah. Now, there's a a bit of debate about this book. Most of those debates hinge on authorship and, and genre. Is it a parable? Is it an allegory? Is it historical narrative? And while those debates are important, we we can't let them get in the way of the message that comes through this story. It starts the same way the minor prophets of the Hebrew Scriptures start, with the word of the Lord coming to Jonah. Now, the only other place that Jonah is mentioned in the Old Testament is in 2 Kings, where he, he prophesies to his own people where he prophesies to to his own people 
Jonah's ministry in 2 Kings, it's, it's in his comfort zone. These were the people that he knew. So it made sense. This was where he could preach, where he had preached. He knew them. They knew, they knew him. They knew what he was about. And then at some point later, God says, hey, go to Nineveh, which at the time was the capital of Assyria. Now, Matt uh, Pardee, our junior high director, is going to be unpacking some of the dynamic next week between the Assyrians and the Israelites. But for now, I invite you to think of someone who would be incredibly difficult for you to be around. Think of a person that would be incredibly difficult for you to be around. I'm waiting to see if you're nodding because you can think of the person that's incredibly difficult to be around. If you lean to the left, it might be somebody who's on the extreme right. If you lean to the right, it might be somebody who's on the extreme left. Jonah, for Jonah, he would, that'd be the Ninevites. He would never approve of them. He'd cringe at everything that they stood for. He would never sit down for a meal with them, and he would certainly not welcome them into his home. Nineveh wasn't just beyond the border. It was the the center of Israel's greatest enemy. So when God tells Jonah to go, he does what most of us would do. He gets up. He obeys God and does exactly what God says, right? No, that's not what he does. He runs in the opposite direction. He heads for Joppa, which is the nearest port city. He goes to the port city and he he gets on, on the first boat he can to Hawaii. Are you tracking? No, he's going to Tarshish, but Tarshish might as well has been Hawaii. It was a vacation destiny. It was the escape. It was the, the place that you go that, that, to, to get away from it all. It was also the, the kind of the, the opening to the rest of the world. It was the land of opportunity, but it was a vacation destination. And Jonah was on his way. He gets on the boat. He, he finds a comfy spot. Pulls over his eye cover so no one will talk to him. And he falls asleep, running from what God has for him. And while he's asleep, a, a storm like the one that we experienced this last week, I imagine, started. The captain of the boat panics. He finds Jonah and he says, how in the world can you be asleep right now? Wait, you're an Israelite, aren't you? Call on your God and, and maybe, maybe your God will save us. Jonah asleep in the storm, it, it challenges me in all kinds of ways. Makes me think about the, the places in life where sometimes I fall asleep. As a dad, there are times it's easier to, to disengage from my children than approach them. They're having a tantrum. Okay. As a husband... Sometimes it's easier to avoid those difficult conversations than actually have them. As a pastor, as a leader, there are times that I have to make a difficult decision or ask our congregation to to step out in faith and, and take on something that's difficult. And sometimes, if I'm honest, it's just easier to sleep. I like to sleep. Anyone else like to sleep? Jonah reminds us that running from God sometimes is active, but, but sometimes it's passive. 
Sometimes it's intentionally going in an opposite direction. And others, it's just closing our eyes, putting our heads in the sand, just avoiding or ignoring what is right in front of us. As Jonah escapes, the the sailors, they essentially roll dice to see who is going to wake up, who are they going to blame for the storm. Now, they had spent most of their lives on these seas, but they weren't used to a storm like this. So they go, they go to Jonah and they say, hey, tell us, who's, who's responsible for all of this? They interrogate him. What do you do for a living? Where are you from? Why are you here? He answers some of their questions, but not them all. He doesn't tell them that he's a, a prophet. He, he, he doesn't tell them exactly where he's from. All he says is, I'm Hebrew. And I worship the God of heaven. As Jonah tries to escape God's call, he also tries to escape part of his identity. He doesn't say, I'm a prophet. I'm a prophet. And guess what? I once prophesied to the king of Israel. In his mind, he gave up that part of his identity. He gave up who he was as he ran, as he tried to escape. How often do we do something similar? God calls us to something. We say, you know what? I'm not quite wired that way. We think, yeah, I don't, I don't quite have those gifts. And we run. Maybe we think we, we've done something or haven't done something that, and we're disqualified that we can't do whatever God is calling us to. We're not good enough. We're too broken. We're too sinful. We're too fill in the blank. Then somehow, even when we're full of excuses, God says, remember, remember who you are. Remember that you are called. As Jonah runs, he he can't get away from his identity. He can't get away from who he is. And as we see later, he also can't get away from, from Nineveh. So the, the sailors, they essentially say, are you crazy? Are you nuts? Why would you run from God? Why would you run from the person who created the sea and the dry land? Why, why are you doing this? And here Jonah misses a golden opportunity. He could have repented right then and there. He could have called on God and, and said, God, come and save us now. Come and save the entire crew. But he doesn't. He continues to flee. As the storm rages, the sailors ask what they should do to Jonah to get the storm to calm down. He says, oh, it's simple. Just, just throw me into the sea. Then this will all be over. I know this whole thing is my fault. He would rather die than swallow his pride, than admit that he was wrong, than accept God's plan. Now, it's easy to to look at this part of Jonah's story and say, how could he be so thick-headed? But remember what Nineveh represented. It was a city that was synonymous with evil. It was a city full of people that he would never want to befriend. I imagine that Jonah sat there weighing his options, arguing with God, 
Even trying to convince God that, that he could help, that he had a better plan than what God had for him. That he knew Nineveh better than God did. And so before we, we cast stones at Jonah, or before we join the crew ready to throw him into the ocean, I think it's important we ask ourselves how often we have had a similar thought or a similar conversation with God. All too often, we're, we can be just as stubborn as Jonah. We, we could repent, we, we could change, but it's so much easier sometimes to just, you know, just take the easy way out. Just say, just, just throw me in the water, I'm not changing. I'm not adapting. Just, just throw me in the water. The men on the ship do all they can to get back to the land on their own. They row, they fight the storm, they say, how can we get back? And, and, and then they can't, and so they cry out, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Who prays first in this story? This is where you respond. The sailors the sailors pray first in the story. It's not Jonah. The sailors pray first. They weren't Hebrew. They probably worshipped, we're told, they worshipped a variety of, of different gods. And here they are with a prayer of confession, a, a prayer of deliverance to Jonah's God. The God who created the water and the dry land. Now, verses 15 and 16, they tell us that as soon as Jonah is thrown overboard, that the sea calms down. And then right then and there, the men on the boat feared the Lord. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord. They make vows to the Lord. Jonah, a prophet of Israel, wouldn't, wouldn't repent. But these men would, these sailors would. In the midst of Jonah's disobedience, in his attempt to run, God remains faithful. And the sailors respond. The sailors respond. Jonah tries to escape, but, but he can't. And, and God uses him regardless of his resistance. Now, we'll never know exactly what went through Jonah's head as he was picked up by the men. As he, as he was thrown over the side of the boat into the water. As he hit the waves. As he began to sink. Then as he swallowed by the massive fish. I imagine, though, that it went something along the lines of, What have I done? What have I done? And we'll get a bit more into that next week. I should say Matt will. At some point in the water, though, he had to recognize that trying to escape God was pointless. God would continually work, as we see in the rest of the story, to redeem him. Now, I'm guessing that some of us here this morning are, are in a similar place to Jonah, probably not as drastic as where, where Jonah was, but we've spent time running from something that God has for us. Maybe it's a difficult conversation that needs to happen. Maybe it's a, a change at work. Maybe it's taking on a role here at church. Maybe it is something 
else? What might we be trying to escape? As we conclude this morning, if you're in that place, if you're in that place, I'm going to invite you to pray a very simple prayer. Lord, I don't want to run anymore. Lord, I don't want to run anymore. I don't want to sleep anymore. I want what you have for me. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for the story of Jonah. As we journey through it over the next six weeks, we ask that you would continuously remind us that we are loved, that you are faithful, that you are constantly at work reminding us that that we are redeemed, that we are loved, that we have a purpose. Lord, we, we want what you have for us, individually and collectively as a church community. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen.